Welcome to the Coppreneur Path Podcast. Welcome to the show that is all about the path from cop to coppreneur. I'm your host, Adam Wills. With this podcast, I am going to help equip you for your own post-law enforcement entrepreneurial journey with lessons learned from my experience growing a successful post-Leo business. You'll also get to hear from fellow coppreneurs and experts in business and marketing whose advice will give you an edge against the competition. You are in the right place. So let's get after it. Welcome to another episode of the Coppernewer Path podcast brought to you by CEO.com. Today, I want to talk about you. I want to talk about your story because undoubtedly in any law enforcement career, you know, we all love to go around and share our stories with people, all the crazy things that have happened to us, all the crazy things we've seen and that we've done. And you know what? Eventually, those stories start to fade away, right? Some some stick around longer than others, but ultimately, you know, we want to, we want to record those stories. We want to make note of them. We want to share them for, uh, uh, generations to come and we want to share them with other people, uh, in mass. But a lot of us lack guidance in understanding how exactly to lay out a framework to, to write down our story, record it and make it something that other people want to actually engage with and read. Now we've done a couple episodes in the past on this show about, uh, how to write a book and how to prepare information for that and outline your story. But today I want to talk a little bit more about the actual story itself. And so I brought on uh, Mike Almer to the show today. Mike is going to share with us some insight in how to develop your own story. Mike, welcome to the show. And hey, by the way, I don't want to forget this time I did on the last episode. We have Austin with us here too, but Mike, welcome to the show. Yeah, Austin and yeah, Adam, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here with you guys. Yeah, it's good to have you, Mike. You're, uh, we, we had some comedic humor uh, a little bit right before we started recording <laughs> here. Um, but, uh, um, you know, nonetheless, we're, we're here to talk about um, story and the stories that we all carry uh, around with us and how we can leverage those or how we, I should say leverage them, how we can uh, yeah. document and record those. And so, Mike, tell us a little bit about uh, your background and how, uh, stories became such an important thing for you? Well, started, believe it or not, in grade five, when I realized that when I made a story, a composition, all the kids liked it and laughed at it. And I was a kid from an unhappy home and that kind of a recognition and, the, and just that, you know, as a kid, you, you just want love. Yeah. And that kind of attention and recognition became something that was tangible for me. And I've been seeking it ever since. And <laughs> I was really lucky. I had a great career in sports writing. I went to all the big events. I became a sports columnist at the Toronto Sun. I covered the Maple Leafs, which is a big deal here, for about 20 years and wrote about a dozen books uh, through mainstream publishers. Had a really, really great career. Loved it. And, and so storytelling has always been really central to me. And now at, at sort of this stage of my career, I've sort of looked at it because what I found was I joined some business organizations and I found that everybody kind of wanted, it was a little bit like what Mark Twain says about the weather, right? Everyone talks about it, but no one does anything about it. <laughs> and so, and so I found, and I, so I, I spent a long time looking at books and business books and I have interviewed probably about 20,000 people. So wow. you get, you do something 10 or 20,000 times, you get fairly good at it. 
And after a while, I, I knew what it took. I have long since known what it takes to, to connect with people. And you use the word leverage. And I guess that, that, that's a fine word because that's really what you're doing. You're monetizing your story. But I, I like the word connect because when you, you know, they've done experiments that show that the very same areas of your brain are engaged in the storyteller and the story listener. There's, it's a, a moment of connection. That's why I've always done it and why I always will do it because there's a magical moment of connection when you speak to someone and share their story or it's just as profound, maybe even better if you elicit that story. It's a really, it's really hard to make something more powerful than that human connection because we're wired for it. That's how we're supposed to be. We're social animals. We had to be to survive. 99% of the, of the species that existed on earth no longer exist. We were never the strongest, the fastest, anything. And yet we're still here because we had the hard wiring that meant we had to process information and determine whether to believe it or not from all sorts of things, the clues, the tone of voice and everything. So if you tell a story, it passes right into, right past the, um, the, the kind of the, the, into our cognitive area. It's like yeah. a free pass. That's how we're built. That's how we had to be built. Yeah. I can't agree with you more. Uh, I often tell people story is really the universal language. It doesn't matter yes, it is. what your demographic is, your background, your language that you speak, your how much you're worth. It doesn't matter. Story is a, is a language that is universal to everybody and it evokes a an emotional response that is at the core of our being. Like you said, regardless of whether you're the storyteller or uh, the story reader, listener, digester, whatever you want to call it, right? Oh, absolutely. And it's because, so where it's really great is the name of my book is Show and Tell Writing because you can show and you can tell. So a great tell was in the big short when uh, who's that wonderful actress? So much? Margot Robbie is sitting in the bathtub, if you recall the movie, and she's explaining tranches and subprime loans to you. She's telling you, and they put her in this fantastic setting, of course, Margot Robbie in a bubble bath. She's such a beautiful young woman, but you can't help but sort of look and listen to her. That's a great tell. The shows is the part of the story. Everything in a story is, is everything you tell someone in a story has to be purposeful. And where shows are really, really important is that they imbue a sense of your character in the ears and mind of the listener. So, you know, if, if, if I tell you that uh, I've written a book on plumbing and I've never been a plumber, you're not going to have that. But if I tell you my, my 15 years uh, learning plumbing and how I came to plumbing late and my dad never wanted me to be a plumber, but I decided to be a plumber and I found it's really great, uh, but I was never really that great at it. So I really had to work on it. I learned this and this. And what I really learned after that could make a difference in how you handle your plumbing. And this is what I've discovered. Okay, now I've put in the miles and you've observed me and you've followed along with my journey. And now you've learned a couple of things from me. A, I really care about plumbing, right? And B, I just didn't follow up the truck. I had some, uh, some issues and I had to overcome them and I learned. And so now you've seen that I'm dependable. I'm ambitious. I want to get this right, right? I didn't say I'm dependable. I'm ambitious. I want to get this right. You observed that I'm dependable. I'm ambitious. I want to get it right. When you observe, it's different than when you're told. When you observe, it goes straight into the back of your head and you go, okay, I want this guy to work with me. I can tell you all those things, but if I show you through story, then you do the work. You encode it and it becomes, goes from an idea to a truth in your mind. I like that so much. 
And that relates to so many things that I can think of. Uh, your example of the plumber was perfect because I'm just thinking of back in my law enforcement career sitting in trainings. And uh, I ended up taking the same class twice. Yeah. Anybody that's in Colorado that's ever done the intox knows exactly what I'm talking oh, about. Yeah. <laughs> the first guy was interested in it and he enjoyed it and he was knowledgeable and had a way of actually making that class interesting. And the second guy did right. not. And the only thing that changed was the personality. Right. Yeah. There's no, um, you cannot manufacture these things. You can't manufacture a sincere conviction. You just can't fake it. We, we're, we're trained, you guys better than anyone, are trained to recognize a lie. And when, when someone lies to you, you know, what do they call it, guys? You, you know, it's a, someone called the lie the song of the streets, right? And, when, and <laughs> when someone lies to you, it's like die in the water, right? It taints everything. But right. conversely, when someone is sincere with you, when you realize they're genuine, and the other thing is really important is vulnerability. You know, if you tell something, it's the law of reciprocity, guys. If I tell you something, then you will tell me something because that's how we're supposed to work. If I exchange something sincere with you, you will feel compelled somewhere deep inside you to, to exchange something sincere with me. And that's magical. And so that's, you can't, that's the, as you say, Adam, that's the power of story. Yeah. So I guess my question for you in, in your perspective, why, why bother, right? Like why bother at all? What, why should I, why should I desire to actually document my story? And what does it matter to anybody else? Oh, that's such a great question. I love that question. I've never been asked that before. Thank you. <laughs> well, first off, if you never sell a book, if you, no one ever opens the book, and you give me $22,000, which is what I'm going to charge you for your book, by the way, and you and, or whatever is attached to that, and you never open it, no one ever sells it, you just write the book, you've already got your $22,000 worth because you and I figured it out. We talked about your relationship with your dad. We talked about the elements that went into your journey. We talked about what you learned. And then when I would talk about what you learned, you revisit what we learned and you think about things. And I take you to places you never thought you would go because I can do that because that's I've had 20,000 interviews, right? And so you have a new understanding and appreciation for the dynamics that made you who you are. You have a better understanding of who you are. And then you have a better understanding of what you want to do and where you want to go. I'll toss in the book for free. So is your, is your focus primarily then on helping people with like memoir style books? Is that, is that really kind of your niche or? No, I hate memoirs. I hate memoirs. Thomas Edison said, anything that can't be sold has no value to him. <laughs> Any invention that can't doesn't have, doesn't have an application. Memoirs are a, are a wank, right? When you write a memoir, all you're doing is getting shit off your chest, right? Getting stuff off your chest. It has no, it has no currency with the reader. Everything in your book should be in, 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 because when someone reads your book, they're stopping what they're doing. They're dropping everything and they're giving you 100% of their attention. You are obliged to reward that. Everything you do in your book has to be in service, not of your story, but to the reader. So everything has to be for them. I'll give you an example. No story should be in your book unless it has a germane application to the reader. If it doesn't do anything for them, leave it out. It's not about you. 
It's about them. It's about what they need. And it's about framing a story that they can relate to, see themselves in, benefit from, and act on. You talked a little bit before the show about your three pillars that every great book has. Was that yeah. one of them? Well, yeah, actually, there's kind of 10, 10 rules. And, and, uh, and that is the first rule is love the reader. Do everything in, in view of the reader because they're the ones that are giving you everything they have to give you at that moment. And there's a bunch of them. And I look over here. And, but number five is the proposition, the backstory, and the advice. So every book, uh, Time Management for Mortals, 4,000 Hours, The 4-Hour Work Week, all these books and so many more have an irresistible proposition, something that will make you swivel when you're walking by the bookstore, something that grabs your head and makes you look, right? It's a counterintuitive. It's often sort of, uh, it sort of flows against the, what the existing thought is. Four-hour work week, great idea. Who doesn't want a four-hour work week? Never been proposed before, right? Great yeah. idea. Yeah. Excellent idea. And yet, Tim Ferriss actually admits that he never intended it for to they never intended for it to be a four hour work week. I know. And he knew that that was insane, but it was just like you said, it was the proposition of it that got caught everybody's attention. Exactly. So there's a proposition that's the title of your book, and maybe it's something that you know. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Can I give you a quick example? Sure. Let's say you. Uh, okay. So you you're an estate planner, right? And what you notice is 50% of the people that come into your office care only about one thing. I don't want the government to get my money. I don't want to pay an inheritance tax. So I'll stash it here. I'll make this person implement my will, even though, you know, I, I'm estranged from them. I don't care what effect it'll have on my family, you know, and I, I'll be dead. I don't care. I'm just not going to pay the government any money. Okay. So, okay. So you, you, you make all these choices and these choices are usually very destructive. They have a terrible impact on the family. Uh, the money drives a wedge into it. And the truth of it is, is only about two of every 600 inheritances ever has to pay tax according to the IRS. So you're destroying your family for nothing, for no benefit. Okay, so if you want to write a book, that's a pretty good hook. Don't destroy your family for nothing because you're, you're scared of the boogeyman. The boogeyman doesn't exist. Okay. That's a great idea. So, okay, let's take that idea now and talk about how you learned it. And Austin, you learned it because, uh, you know, you did this business for 15 years and person after person, and you'd go to the funeral and you'd go, okay, that guy's going to be mad at that guy. And that guy's going to be mad at this guy. And this is going to be a terrible shit show. And you got tired of it. And you finally realized, look, no one is paying this inheritance tax. And so you decided you wanted to stop it. And the reason why, by the way, Austin, you decided you want to stop it is because your dad was about the most honest guy you knew. Your dad was an insurance adjuster and you'd go sit in his office after work and you'd watch him haggle with, he wouldn't be arguing with the, the, the customers, the patrons. He'd be fighting his own insurance company because he wanted to do the right thing for, for them. And so that imbued you with a sense of, 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 of honesty that you've tried to carry all the way through your life. Okay, we're done. You have a proposition. You have a backstory that leads me to understand why you believe that and why you do that, right? You have credibility. I've judged you by your character, by your dad's character, and how you move forward with that. And thirdly, you're going to give me 50 different tips as to how not to, how, how to not destroy your family and how to plan successfully. That's it. That's the, that's the trio. 
The proposition, don't destroy your family. No one's going to pay that tax anyway. The backstory that tells how you came to value those things and the journey through the, through the business. And finally, the, the, all the recommendations and ideas you give with it. Those are the three pillars. Awesome. Hey, I want to take a quick break, but then when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about uh, your process when you work with somebody to help them put together an outline for their book. Uh, so let's take a quick break. Hey, it's break time real quick. Are you interested in being a guest on the Copper Path podcast? Or do you know someone else who would be a good guest on the show? I'm always looking for copperneurs who can share stories of their own copperneurial journey, regardless of how early you are in that journey or how far along you are. I'm also looking for guests who don't necessarily have a law enforcement background, but can offer expert business and marketing advice. So if you would like to suggest a guest or see about being featured yourself on an upcoming episode, please go to cpp.fm forward slash guest and fill out the quick five question form. Again, that's charlespaulpaul.frankmary forward slash guest and fill out the quick five question form. Okay, Mike, we're back. And I want to talk to you a little bit, like I said, right before the mid roll uh, about what the process looks like, right? And now I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna put this out there, okay? Um, sure. Before the show, before we started recording, you were very frank to tell me uh, that you listened to a prior episode of the show with Julie yeah. Broad, uh, which yeah. was episode 69 of the Copper yeah. Path podcast, and that you had some differing opinions on things. And I said, you know what, Mike, that's okay. Uh, dissenting opinions are allowed here. Let's talk about that. I want to hear your unique take on um, on, on the process of writing a book and the reason for it. Well, first I love Julie. I thought she was like, she is so sincere and I could see why anyone would want to do business with her. Cause I really liked her. I listened to her and go, this woman really, you know, she's really knowledgeable and she's really sincere. I don't particularly agree with her because she says, everything you have to do is with the end project in mind is how you're going to market the book and, 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 Really, that determines the content of your book. Your life determines the content of your book. Your book is your story is the only she's right about many things. And one of the things she's right about when she says that there's not that many things that distinguish us in the market. If you sell insurance, you sell insurance. You know, if you're a body shop, you're a body shop. Right. It's just very minor difficulties. But our differences. But our story is our fingerprint. Our story is the thing that imbues all those things. Don't write it backwards. Write your story. The, the best book you can possibly write, the truest, best book you can possibly write. Because if it has all those three elements, you're going to be fine. So don't write it backwards. Write your life and, and what you've learned and how that benefits somebody else. Worry about the marketing later on. And I think, Adam, this is really where the whole thing has gone, gone, gone to hell. Everyone's worried about being on the New York Times bestseller list. or like this is a, There's a lot of jerry-rigging of lists going on. A lot of people are losing money by people that are just, they're just managing algorithms. Write a great book. Tell a great story about why you do, why you care what you do, and what you do differently. It'll find a home. And by the way, don't take all the previous stuff that you've written and jam it into a book. That defeats the whole purpose. The purpose of the book, how can you expect the reader to learn if you don't learn? How can you expect the reader to want to go over your story 
if you don't go over your story and evolve from it and give them the latest benefits of all your experience, not a blog you wrote three years ago, who gives a damn? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not even sure I remember all the blogs I wrote three years ago, uh, if I'm honest. I'm not sure. A lot I of them the I'd ones... like to forget. Yeah, There's a right? lot of them I'd like to forget. There's a lot of stuff out there on the internet I'd like to forget. Oh, man. I'm still trying to wrap my head around it uh, from before the mid-roll. How there's only two things in life that are certain, right? Death and taxes. And now you're telling me that death is still there, but taxes no longer. And uh, then you just, you hijack that and uh, take the all-American pastime of tax evasion and just right there within about 30 seconds, give me this idea for a book. And uh, sorry, I'm just, I'm stuck on that one because I, I don't think that was quite covered like you said, episode 69 with Julie, that's just such a different approach than uh, just writing your book with the end goal in mind. And uh, I have to agree. I don't, I don't think it seems like everybody is a New York times bestseller. And, uh, Oh yeah. 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 It's skeezy. And you know how it's done on, especially on Amazon, you, you pick the most obtuse category you can yeah, find, especially Amazon. you get all your buddies <laughs> to buy it. You're on the top of the list for a second. It's like models. I, I have some people in my family that were models, right? Like women, you know, they were models. Are you still a model? Like, are you 80? Are you still a model because you're modeling your 80 in your 30s? Well, I guess you are because you're a model, right? If you're, <laughs> if you're a best-selling author, you're always a best-selling author. Right? It's a great thing. It's a good gig if you can get it. But it's a racket, man. <laughs> that That is undoubtedly true. Yeah. So I, I love your focus on... Um, just writing a good quality book. Uh, and, and if you write a good quality book, the outcome of, you know, all the things that we want our book to do for us, right? Especially from a business standpoint, those things will come because you've written a good book that people want to read. So I, I want to, with the rest of the time that we've got left here, uh, because we don't have a ton of time left, sure. I, I really want to hear what your process is when somebody comes to you and says, Mike, I really want to write a book, but I need help. And I don't know how to do that. Uh, can you help me unpack those ideas, uh, and, and create some, some sense to it, like eliminate the chaos, put an outline to it, uh, make it make sense, eliminate the fluff. What do you do then? How do you draw people through that process and, and create the final outcome of a good book? Well, the first thing I tell you is that this thing is organic, that I have no more idea where this is going than you do. All I can tell you, it's not going to go where we think we are, where it's going to go. I have only one real mantra. If you write the book you thought you were going to write, you wrote the wrong book. It's through the discovery of your story, <laughs> the ruminations that. of the things, the recognition of things you may not have even thought about before that you understand really where you were, what happened, where you want to go, and where you are right now. So we just talk. We talk for hours. Sometimes it's three or four or five hours. I did a book called The 50-Year-Old Millennial. We were just talking about millennials, and he, he's just, my friend was into servant leadership. And we realized in that conversation that servant leadership is the best antidote toward, for millennials. It's a great book because they want all the, all the things that servant leadership promises. I have no idea what your book is going to be because I have no idea what your story is. And you probably don't even know what your story is. So we're going to find it together. And then when we find it, then we're going to figure it out. 
I actually feel like that takes a lot of pressure off my shoulders, right? From somebody, as you know, that is interested in, in putting together a book of my own, uh, yeah. probably sooner rather than later. I, I feel a lot of pressure because I don't know what that book needs to be, right? So I'm not going into it with a preconceived notion of Good. here's what I want the book to be. Um, so for me, that actually kind of takes some some weight off of hey, you know what? I could just talk to Mike and share my story and my ideas, my thoughts and all of those things. And, and you're going to turn it into something. Um, I love that. I love that idea. Well, every word is yours, right? Every, every book is first person. Every word is yours. So whatever you tell me is going to be in your book. Every word is going to be your own words. But we're going to go around it and we're going to figure it out. and We're going to hash through it. We're going to put this there and everywhere. But we're going to help you find what your story is. And that's probably the, the other thing about the book. Forget uh, for a second the revelation of, of discovering your own life and things you've never really thought about. Really what we are doing is finding the story that you should tell every day for the rest of your life. After that, what are we talking about? Details, grammar, punctuation. That's what we're talking about. Once we find that story that you should tell every day, and everybody has one, the book is written. The rest is just details. Now, finding that story is a little bit like doing your own appendectomy. You can, <laughs> maybe you can do it. And I wish you luck. But there's a reason people get paid to do it. And that's what we do. That's what I do. I do all the interviews and you'll, you'd get so tired of me, man. <laughs> you would dread my phone calls because we would not end until we had what I promised you'd have. I like the sound of that a lot more, though. Um, not quite the same way that Adam was uh, interested in it, but I've also kind of entertained the idea of writing a book. Um, yeah. A close friend of mine got me on that path, and he's kind of going through the process of doing that. And we've, we've tried several different things of, you know, uh, Jocko Willink is, hey, you just sit down, you write a thousand words before you know it. Boom, it's there. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, there's different, I like the idea that I can sit down and just have a discussion with you and go through and, uh, have that get extracted because, you know, you're right. If you write the book that you're intending to write, it's probably the wrong book. As I've found every time that I kind of have that thought in my head of, I should go through, I should put more progress into that, get some more stories on paper. I just find that I hate it. I don't know if it's the stories or if it's the putting it down myself or what, but uh, it's just a different approach and it, it feels like a lot more of a chore than an actual adventure. And sometimes it's hard to kind of go by yourself. So I was, one of our books is called the 40 ways of the Fox. It's Ron Foxcroft. You know, the guys know the Fox 40 whistle, the really, really super loud one. I know they're using a law enforcement oh, yeah. too. Ron invented that whistle. Really great guy. Really interesting guy. And, uh, and, and I was listening to Ron, I've known Ron for years and we were talking and he, we ended up doing his book. It worked great. Got 40 really great rules. Uh, and I said, um, tell me about your dad. Cause I noticed you don't drink. There's only two reasons a grown up doesn't drink. And both of them is cause their parents did and, and, or did not. And they, and in this case, they decided to emulate their parents. If you're an adult and you're a not drinker, you're a non-drinker, you're flowing against the grain, there's a reason why, and it's likely your dad. And so what, what Ron told me is my dad used to beat me once a week, every week, like clockwork. And he was an alcoholic, and he was a mean drunk, 
and he embarrassed my mom, but he stopped about 12 years before his death when I told him you can't see the kids if you don't stop this. And, and um, that vulnerability from Ron is the thing that everyone noticed in the book. He's this really super successful guy, but that was the piece of the puzzle that was missing. Why does a guy get up at five o'clock in the morning and, and, and work so long and so hard and so imaginatively? And, and what is driving this guy? I'll tell you what was driving this guy. His dad was driving this guy. And so we looked at that story and that story is the key to, I think, the key to Ron's story. And he has so many great stories. Well, you're not gonna plunk that out by yourself. It's an unpleasant subject. And it's a difficult one to bring to the table. But as a stranger, you'll you'll tell me because we're built for it. And you know I have your best interests at heart. And so you'll tell me, hopefully. And that will lend an area of credibility and vulnerability to your work that wouldn't otherwise be there. It's really hard to do it yourself. Really, really hard. It's like doing your own therapy. You can read all the self-help books and that's really good. And I've had that analogy made before. It's therapy. And and don't get me wrong, all those things are really, really useful. But talking to a therapist is better. As long as it's the right therapist. <laughs> There's some really, really bad therapists out there. I agree. <laughs> Mike, uh, I, I want to ask you to kind of leave us with a closing thought. Um, what do you think needs to stand out the most in the memories of everyone that's listening to the show right now that they need to carry with them? Uh, as this episode comes to a close. The idea that you don't have a story that's worthy of telling is an obscenity. It's something that we've been told. I had a shop teacher named Mr. Stellmaker. I was a lousy, you know, Mr. Stellmaker was probably an old world craftsman and he got, he got stuck in this job as a high school shop teacher and his big, a big win for him is if everyone had the same number of fingers when they walked out of the shop as when they walked in, that was a big win. Okay. <laughs> And one day I said to Mr. Stelmaker, I brought him this table I'd made for my mom. And I brought it to Mr. Stelmaker. He looked and he said, what a lousy job. And he was right. It was a terrible table. I have never picked up a hammer since Mr. Stelmaker. I've never even thought about woodworking. I lost complete confidence in my ability to function with my hands just because of this careless thing that one guy said who was having a bad day. Because that's how we are. We listen and we're kids. They're authority figures. And we based our whole house on that fissure. So my one piece of advice is that anyone can write their story because it only takes an open heart. Do not believe nine times out of 10, the people who tell you can't do something are liars. And then one time out of 10, maybe they're trying to help you. So we all have a fantastic, powerful story and we all have the authority and the right to tell it. And that, and, and that's what I would want people to know. Awesome. I love it. Uh, how would people connect with you if they want to get more information or uh, consider working together? How, how do they find you? I would love that. The name of my company is uh, Catapult. So our website is get, whoop, getcatapulted.com. Get, G-E-T, catapulted.com. And we'll talk for a little bit. And uh, uh, I have I run what I call the not hard to get uh a chat line. So you know how everyone has their calendar is all booked and you only have yourself for like five minutes you're available because you want to make everyone think they're real busy. My calendar is wide open. I'm not hard to get. <laughs> you call me and I'll, and we'll talk. So, and then I, we set up a little consult and then we'll see what you have. And then 
I can either lend, you know, send you on your way with a good couple of ideas, or maybe we can work some more together. Awesome. I love it. And of course, as always, everybody will drop um, all of the links uh, to, to be able to connect with Mike and anything else that we talked about on the show will be in the show notes for this episode at cpp.fm. All right, Mike, thank you for being on the show. And Austin, of course, always great to have you as co-host. So thanks for joining us. How'd it go, you, Austin? You showed him up this time. I thought you were much better than he was. <laughs> you are the first person to ever say that. Oh, it's true. <laughs> He's allowed to do that, too. It's okay. It's <laughs> a value add. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks for sticking around till the end of the show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review at leotoceo.com forward slash podcast dash review or in your preferred podcast listening app. I would love to hear your feedback and it will also help other compreneurs like yourself find the show. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode. Just go to leo2ceo.com, click on podcast and search this episode number and you'll find all the links, descriptions and resources we talked about. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe so you'll be notified when the next episode is live. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you guys on the next episode.